0: I feel like there's kind of this curiosity that comes into it of what can I control? What can I do? And that ends up being kind of the opposite question of what I think some people with an external locus of control experience when they get into a situation like that where they say there's nothing I can do because that's also not the reality. Welcome to In the Boat with Ben. I am Ben. And I'm Rachel. And this is a show where we talk about creativity and work and life and somehow finding a balance between all of those things. We just want to be a voice of encouragement and motivation for you on your creative journey. Yep. I'm going to actually write something official one of these days that we can say like at the beginning that's going to be the tagline, but I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So today's topic, we are talking about who is in control i made a thumbnail for the live stream event and it's and the question is who is in control so i was kind of playing off of like you know there's a picture of you and me so it's kind of a, a little bit of a baby oh, switch
1: yeah okay I because
0: because if you if you know me and rachel you know who is in control
1: oh yeah So it's totally me
0: what that wasn't okay <laughs> but this this question is actually it's about who is in control in your life and how you think about that question in whatever circumstance you find yourself in can have an effect on your creativity so last night we were eating dinner together and we do this thing every night at dinner where we take turns as a family offering a topic of discussion and then we go around the table and let each person contribute something to that discussion.
1: Because our children are small right now, like it's usually a question or something, but eventually I'd love this to be something where we like debate and, you know, really sharpen each other in some of these topics. But all that to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's really great. I can't remember why we started doing it. Well, oh no, I know why. I do know why. It was because dinner is bonkers with eight people and these you know, young people who don't really know how to control the volume of their voice. <laughs> it, it it was just bonkers. People yeah. talking over each other constantly. There so were like I four
1: think, conversations going at once. And yeah.
0: So we decided we we need to create some kind of structure so that people aren't constantly talking over each other. And it's really helped. And it gets our oldest tends to kind of be in his own world and think about and talk about his own thing. And so it's kind of... Forced us to be on the same page and talking about the same thing and being in, involved and actually listening to one another. So it's been really great.
1: Yeah, it's been fun.
0: So yesterday, you brought up this really deep topic. It
1: was a deep topic,
0: and i I want to I want you to go ahead and talk about like where that. Yeah, it came from and, so and what it is.
1: I'm I'm reading this book called The Biggest Bluff. It's by Maria Konnikova, and it's about her journey into learning how to play poker. And it was like a new skill that she was she was learning how to do. At one point, she you know she's playing these low stakes kinds of games. She's trained in psychology and stuff, and she was she's bringing a different. Viewpoint to the game of poker, where she's assessing these players. And there are two personality types where there's an internal locus of control and then there's an external locus of control. And the way that played out in poker was that poker is a game of both luck and skill, but people who are driven more by the internal locus of control were more successful in poker because they felt they had more control in spite of the luck of the cards and all of that because it really is a a game of skill as well. But people who are driven more by the external locus of control tended to not do as well because they would make the excuse and say, well, it's just the luck of the draw. And then they wouldn't assess their strategy for Mm -hmm. the poker game. I was really taken by this whole locus of control thing. And so that's what I brought to a table yeah. with a seven year old and two nine year olds. And, you know,
0: well, and you didn't get into the that whole right. story. So that's actually the first I've heard of the origins of mm-hmm. where that idea came from. So that's really cool. Yeah, you would have lost the boys about a minute yeah, into that. Exactly. So when you introduced it, you really just talked about what the difference is between the internal and the external locus of control. So can you go ahead and describe that as well?
1: So as far as I understand it, the external locus of control, it's kind of this voice that says, well, nothing I do really makes a difference because... Everything is controlled by an outside force. So that's where we get, you know, when you're making a decision, you feel like nothing you do is really going to make that much of a difference anyway. And so you just kind of skate through things. And then the internal locus of control is more something you feel like you have control over certain things and can make decisions that really impact where you want to be. So it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. There are more challenges I think, to the external locus of control, because you have, to, you have to really understand that we do have control over certain things. But then if you're only guided by an internal locus of control, you also don't just, you know, there are external things and, and you tend to look over those.
0: With the kids, as we were talking about it, this is a theme that comes up a lot and mostly with their behavior and how they respond and react to one another. We talk a lot about the difference between taking responsibility and a victim mindset, which Mm -hmm. I think are are both.
1: Well, I think it's really easy to get in a victim mindset if you have a personality type where you're more driven by an external locus of control.
0: Right. And so, and it's, this is something, especially with our oldest, when it comes to his homework, for Mm -hmm. example, and, and so this was a really encouraging thing last night when we were having the conversation, because uh, there have been so many instances where I ask about, well, why, you know, why is your grade so low? So yeah. Why, are, why are you failing? Why are you missing so many assignments and the external locus of control? And I think in some cases where that comes from, it's this desire to avoid feelings of shame and guilt and that kind of thing would lead him to have all of these excuses. You know, there were there, he had at least, you know, five different reasons why he just couldn't do it. It was impossible for him. And those things were outside of his control. And so last night when we were talking about it, he actually...
1: Because the, the question that we brought was, do you feel like you're driven more by the external locus or the internal locus? Yeah.
0: So he actually talked about and and admitted, yeah, a lot of, a lot of times when I don't get stuff done, it's really because I didn't make the choice to do it and... I could do it. And so it was really encouraging to see him kind of turn that corner and come to that realization. Well,
1: it might not be a corner yet, but teenagers are just kind of like really hard. Peeking
0: (laughs) around the corner, maybe something like that.
1: He'll probably hide behind the corner again. but
0: So I'm, you know, I'm big on personal responsibility when it comes to like as an approach to helping our children understand how to navigate the world. But I, you know, I had to be honest with the boys last night that I like to think that I'm a person who has an internal locus of control, but I often find myself in situations and circumstances where I feel like I'm not the one in control and that somebody else is, you know, kind of in control of things and there's nothing I can do about it and I feel that way. And I I think for most people, even if you believe that it's good to have an internal locus of control, it's good to look for opportunities to take control and take responsibility, life presents challenges often that make you feel like you're not in control.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and my answer too was it kind of depends on the situation for me. You know, if there seem to be a lot of things going wrong, like we have a leak, and then I ended up with COVID, and then I got a terrible injury. And it's just like it feels like the universe is just bang, 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 trying to get you down, so that it makes it very difficult to create because it it feels like it's out of your control. And I think there are situations, you know, like Snovid happened last year, you know, and we were without electricity for three days or two days and how what we could have done things to prepare for that, but not prevent it, you know?
0: Right, we're not in control of the weather Mm -hmm. and whether or not everything freezes.
1: I think the important part to remember in all of that is there are some things we can control. We can control our mindset. We can uh, control the attitude that we have about those things. And there are even some physical things we can control. Like if we had a uh, a heater that ran by gas, we could have kept the house a little warmer, you know? There, I mean, there are things that we can control. It's not completely out of our control. And maybe just working with some of those those questionable, like...
0: Well, and, and with the flood thing, that's a really great example. We had known for months that toilet was prone to getting clogging. stopped up yeah and
1: just kept putting it off and putting it and off. it was
0: yeah it's just one of those things where like oh I'll, you know i'll deal with that and it ended up and being, then it was a disaster <laughs> yeah it, it ended up becoming a
1: six month
0: yeah it was it was terrible mm-hmm. it it might have been an hour of time to remediate that to to actually prevent what ended up becoming six months of
1: but we did get a new bathroom out of it and new carpet. So,
0: so yeah, that's a different conversation. <laughs> L- like looking at the, the bright side, mm-hmm. that bathroom is like, it's the nicest, it's the nicest
1: bathroom in room the in the now. house.
0: <laughs> it's, I'd say the nicest room in the house. Okay. So I, and I want to get there eventually where like we are asking, well, what can we do? What, where can we take back this sense of control? But I, I want to kind of park a little bit in those feelings of helplessness and how they affect your creativity. I think there's something going on there where it's not as much the reality of whether or not you're in control as much as it is the feeling that you're not in control. And I want to be really careful about how I talk about feelings here. It's not that feelings don't reflect reality, but when you feel like you're not in control, regardless of whether or not you actually could be in control or there is something you could do, when you feel that way, it makes it really difficult to be creative i am in a situation with work and I, I love i love my job and it's we're just going through some transition as a company because we had somebody leave and take a new position and so there's a little bit of a gap there while we're waiting for that position to be filled and we're also shifting our focus a little bit as a marketing team we're doing a lot more collaborative work than we were before so there are a lot of changes happening and the part of me that feels a little bit afraid of change and feels that uncertainty about how things are going to pan out and that kind of thing you know i can i can look at that situation and i can feel a little bit helpless at times like oh all of this stuff is happening and i'm not really sure like where things are going to land what does it mean for me what does it mean for my time and I can get really in my head about those things. And I notice like when it comes time for me to be creative in my work, I can feel a little bit of a drag on my creativity because of all of those things I'm like anxious about and thinking through in my head that I feel like are outside of my control.
1: Well, and I'll just use an example from from my career. You know, I'm an author and I have an agent. And the way that these things work is you write a manuscript, you spend probably, you know, a year, maybe two, some sometimes more on a manuscript, and then your agent takes it out and sends it to all of these editors who are going to read it and decide whether or not they want to pay you for it. And it's completely out of your control. You have no contact with any editor. The only person you have contact with is your agent. And so writers all the time, my writer friends talk about the season of being on submission that's what we call when we call it when we send out manuscripts to editors and it is such a time of non-creative productivity because you're constantly thinking in the back of your head this manuscript is out there and are they reading it are they liking it am i going to get You know, am I going to continue my career or is this going to be a dud? And I just spent a year or two on this manuscript that doesn't sell. So it's kind of one of those things that you have to like build a muscle where you have to let yourself feel those feelings and then move on as soon as you can. Because it is, it's completely out of your control. There are editors who will write back and say, I love this manuscript, but it didn't grip me enough. Or I love this manuscript, but another writer just wrote one that has similar elements or something, like all of it, it's timing, it's luck, it's mm-hmm. all kind. Of, what was it that I told you last night? 1.3% chance of getting a book deal when you send one out on, yeah, like, like was, editors were saying they offer a deal about 1.3% of the time.
0: Now this is, and, and just because I want to paint a picture about how... Significant that is. Mm-hmm. So you have to do a lot of work as an author to get an agent in the first in the place. first place. Yeah. So
1: I don't even know what the percentage is for how many deals an agent gives based on how many people. Yeah. So submit things to. So them. as
0: an author, you've done all of this work to try to get representation, and finally someone's like, "Oh, I love this. I want to represent it." You still have a one point something percent chance of actually getting a deal. Yeah. When I saw
1: that, point. I was just like, uh, "That just." Like, it makes you feel like, what is the point? What's, yeah. What's the point?
0: We were, so we were going for a walk the other day and talking about the traditional publishing industry. And I was actually, I was getting mad for, <laughs> for you because of how- Difficult. It feels like this big, mysterious, impenetrable fortress that they've built. Yeah. And It's, unless, it's a hard career, for yeah, sure. Unless you're a bestseller, cash cow kind of- author, you don't really have any leverage to get information about things to know what's going on. And it's just so, so there yeah. are a
1: lot of things out of the control of authors, but we still have to figure out a way to be productive and to be creative. And I think I mean, it goes back to what I said before, I think it's just a muscle that you have to condition and allow yourself to maybe, you know, maybe the day the agent sends those manuscripts out, you let yourself take a day off and read or whatever. And then you get back to work because the best thing you can do is write another manuscript that maybe will sell maybe 0.5%. It will become a bestseller or something. It's probably not even 0.5%. But
0: (laughs) so I want to talk a little bit about some of this, I guess, pros and cons or strengths and weaknesses. And I think when we're describing the difference between external and internal locus of control, I still find myself very much on the side of, I think having an internal locus of control Mm -hmm. is just better in general. I think where the danger could be is if you believe that you should be able to control everything, that's I think where you get in trouble because Mm -hmm. the reality is there are a lot of things. Most things are outside of your control. And so I, I think it's important not to think of internal locus of control as like, oh, I should be able to control
1: everything, everything. yeah
0: but more, I, I feel like there's kind of this curiosity that comes into it of well, what can I control? What can I do? And that ends up being kind of the opposite question of what I think some people with an external locus of control experience when they get into a situation like that, where they say, there's nothing I can do. Because that's also not the reality you might feel that way mm-hmm. so I think when what you're describing that muscle that you're building is really being able to acknowledge that feeling and and allow yourself to feel it and then to have some self-talk and start asking those questions and gosh, I was like I've been in that headspace recently where I'm like, I just I feel like there's nothing I can do and I had to stop and be like, okay, what can I do? What would that look like if you know I tried to take some control where I can and change the situation. And that curiosity and asking those questions leads me into a much more like hopeful and optimistic mm. place. And then, you know, like I start to get my creativity back and I start to get my fire back.
1: Well, because in solving problems, you're also using creativity and in, in seeing these things and asking yourself, what can I do better? That is creativity. Yeah. So you're exercising that creativity and it just opens the floodgates again.
0: And again, it's, you know, it's not about like, well, how can, how can I take control and control all of the things? It's really just like, what can I control? What are, what are the things that I can do? And then I think in situations like with toilet overflowing and the freeze, what helps is to kind of ask those questions in retrospect, like, what could I have done? Because- I think sometimes going through those situations, you might tell yourself a story that, oh, like, and I told myself this story a lot after the freeze because I felt so helpless and I felt embarrassed and kind of ashamed to not have been prepared for it and feeling like, oh, wow, we are like, we have no heat, no electricity. We're all sitting huddled in blankets and generators are sold out. All of the propane tanks are sold out. Like, there's no way I can provide Heat for my family except loading us all up in the car which we did which we did but then like all of the gas stations are closed down so what about when we run out of- And i was just like this kicked my butt and i felt genuinely helpless and then the story i told myself after that was like i had no control over the situation and it just exposed the fact that i couldn't take care of my family the way that i should in that situation I realize that's kind of a paternalistic. Like I'm thinking about myself as the the end all be all <laughs> of our survival. But I mean,
1: I was curled up under a blanket about to die. So
0: <laughs> you were. That scared me. But then, if I look back at that in retrospect, and I ask, what could I have done to prepare? Things that I knew to do. Like I actually, I can list things that, like, oh, I, I definitely could have done. And then okay, this may happen again, Mm -hmm. it's likely. I'm fully capable of doing things that will prevent us from having a terrible experience if we find ourselves in those circumstances again.
1: Yeah, it's a very valuable question to ask yourself, what can I do differently and better next time?
0: Yeah, I like how you just sum that up in a few sentences. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's me.
0: Those are really kind of the two tricks, if you want to call it that. It's when you're in those situations, using your creativity and your curiosity, allow, you know, allowing yourself to, to feel what you're feeling, but then steering that ship in the right direction and then telling yourself a better story about who you are and what you're capable of. Because,
1: And I'm just going to plug real quick the whole idea of telling yourself a better story. You know how you can do that? And I tell my kids this all the time, journaling like it is one of the simplest and best things that you can do to get all of your stuff out so that your mind space is clear.
0: Yeah. I have a little anecdote about that. There was yeah. something I, I love this. It was, it was kind of just, it wasn't bad news, but just kind of a change in circumstances. And I was sharing it with the boys,
1: the older ones,
0: what we might need to do and, and stuff like that kind of having to do with our budget and our second oldest was actually pretty upset by the possible change i'm purposefully not being specific he was really upset and i was trying to like i found myself trying to help him work through it logically and stuff and he just held me at bay and i was like i i need to just let him work through this and then he went downstairs and wrote like a whole page in his journal and then afterwards came to me and said hey I I wrote in my journal about how I was feeling and I feel a lot better now I was like wow Mm -hmm. I need to do that yeah that's one of those habits that I really need to get into
1: yeah it really helps Mm -hmm. especially for creative people because and I, I actually visit schools and talk about the very first thing for creativity that I tell them is journal because I just I feel like it's so important there's so much going on in your personal life that you know it it affects the way that you feel and how your brain can work and the creativity that you can access. It, ju- it helps to download all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So as far as if you are a person who finds that maybe you have an external locus of control, you know, we're talking about this in the context of creativity, but I think most things are more difficult when we believe that there's nothing we can do and that, that things are completely outside of our control If that's kind of where you are, I wanna encourage you that I understand and, and I'm there often, I feel that way, but your creativity and your intelligence and your curiosity are tools that you can use to get yourself into a better mental space where you start to feel like you have more control and there's more that you can do and therefore feel more capable of handling the things that life throws at you and feel more capable of doing creative things.
1: I do want to reiterate here, though, that there are things that are completely out of our control. You know, sometime my brother, what, three years ago was diagnosed with brain cancer. And that's something that you never want for sure, but you also can't really control. And so I think where the internal locus of control comes in those situations is your attitude and the way that you think about it and being able to figure out what you can control in that situation is yeah. an important thing to do. So I just I didn't want to end this podcast without mentioning that there are definitely things like this is not a victim blaming kind of thing no. like there are lots of things that are out of our control, but what is in our control is how we handle those kinds of things and I'm not saying that it's wrong to grieve and to I was very angry for a long time about that diagnosis and scared and worried and sad you know there there are places and times for that and I don't I don't know that I even well I think actually I created quite a few poems during that time and and stories, but they were very angry and mm-hmm. things that I had to go back and revise a lot because of where my headspace was. And so there are, you know, there are seasons of these times when we can be creative and sometimes the creativity saves us, but we can allow ourselves to not be creative, like take that pressure off.
0: Yeah. There's not, we want to avoid this being like, toxic positivity yeah. kind of like. Mm-hmm.
1: I am not that person.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you are, if you're in circumstances that are outside of your control and that's got you completely immobilized and you can't be creative, you're not a failure you know, that's a lot of people find themselves there. And, and so this, this episode is not about like, get out of that as fast as you can. Like you really, or even
1: to look back at things that you've done and, and what you, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't want it to feel that way to people where it's like, you could have done this better.
0: Yeah. So like when I think back to the freeze thing, like I don't feel embarrassed or ashamed of how I felt. I acknowledge that yeah, there were, there were a lot of things outside of my control. I want to take the lessons that I can from that and not have that experience again, but you can be empathetic and, and give yourself grace. And that's really important too. That's definitely a key ingredient in this whole thing is like when you feel like you're not in control, you have to give yourself the time to work through that and to yeah. not try to force yourself back into a positive mindset because that's not what it's about at
1: mm-hmm. all. I'm glad we said that.
0: I, yeah, I am too. <laughs> all right. Well, this is, this is our third episode and we are going to be. Recording, I think something like six episodes before we actually launched the podcast publicly. It's been a lot of fun just live streaming these and uh, that's something we're definitely gonna continue to do. But if you want to learn more about this show, you can go to intheboatpodcast.com and you can sign up for our email list while you're there. Rachel, if people wanna find you online, where can they find
1: you? RachelTolson.com.
0: And I'm at bentolson.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. All right. Debbie said, expectations are so much higher these days for your generation than they ever were in mine. That's a really interesting statement. I'm not sure what I think because I'm not super familiar.
1: If you just consider the parenting expectations, it's way different than it was.
0: It's different, but is it more difficult? I think think if you're looking at one specific aspect of it, it's more difficult.
1: I stayed home alone from the time I was in fourth grade. And we waited until our children were eighth grade
0: before yeah,
1: before we let anybody stay home alone.
0: But that was, do you think that was, a, we felt societal pressure not oh, to yeah. keep them? Yeah? I did.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. For sure. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of those things have, it's created more pressure on people. So, and the social media, the uh, internet, all uh, of that stuff is like yeah. way different than it was when I was a kid. My parents didn't manage screen time. We have to because our kids have access to 24-hour streaming services.
0: Yeah, it would have been nice to be a parent when, during a time when there was not internet.
1: There was nothing on TV after like 11 o'clock. And then it was like, what, paid programming? (laughs) Yeah. That you didn't want to watch. Now it's like you can watch Netflix all night if you don't have controls on everything. So yeah, it's hard.
0: Colleen says, I look at challenges and pain as hurdles. I take them one jump at a time. Yeah. I like that advice. Don't try to take on the whole world, all of your problems at once. That can be difficult too. It's like if you're, if you're kind of, you know, faced with multiple hurdles. I'm like, get it all done at once. Yeah. But it's, how do you, I, that? There, I have a story about hurdles. I do too. we will have to save that for another.
1: Yours is better than mine, but. Yeah.
0: I'll have to save that for another show.